Mercifully, it's a Friday. Uh, that's good for you because you don't have to listen to uh, the two of us over the course of the weekend. You can relax and enjoy yourselves. Unless they want to listen to some of our best of podcasts. Yeah, I'm sure that that's going to happen a lot. Uh, it's McCowan, <laughs> it's Shannon on the program. We're going to bring in the two Daves, Hodge and Perkins, some hockey talk and uh, maybe some baseball talk after these messages. It's McCowan with uh, Shannon, and we are joined today by uh, a couple of Daves, Dave Hodge, Dave Perkins with us on the uh, program this day. The Montreal Canadiens are on their way to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 1993. Are we, well, we have to all be surprised, but should we be? Was there anything in this strange season that gave indication that this might happen hodge to you first carry price yeah i i don't honestly have uh, much more of an explanation than that um i keep wondering when i'm going to watch the habs win a series and not think that the other team was lousy which is not giving the canadians the credit they probably deserve but we know what the leafs did we know what the jets did and Vegas was to me a big disappointment um, up front in terms of energy, in terms of their ability to score. We're back to Carey Price, I know. Um, and I do think that Peter DeBoer tied himself in knots with his goaltending choices. And I wonder whether that affected uh, the rest of the team as well as um, Flurry and Leonard. Not that, uh, not that they, uh, they cost them the series, although the uh, the extraordinary gaffe by uh, by Flurry might have turned the series around entirely. Perk, general comments from you. Well, hey, Dave said it right in the head. It's Price. It, I think he he's in a situation now like his name is, should be on the Con Smythe Trophy already. And uh, you know, even if they, who knows? Even if they lose the final, uh, wasn't it Roger Crozier the one year he he. He won the Conn Smythe yep. for a losing team. I mean, this guy's in that realm without knowing, obviously, what happens in the final. But uh, he's been that good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I laugh at the uh, at the, the local media, you know, experts who were saying before the first playoffs that, uh, well, Carey Price isn't that good anymore. Jack Campbell, that, that's pretty much a wash uh, in net. Uh, completely <laughs> forgetting this guy's relative abilities and his career stamp. Uh, I mean, it's just, he's, uh, he's been great. And it's, isn't it wonderful to see a great player be great at the right time. And be so low key. That's the amazing thing when you like, uh, like it, it is the, the, the proverbial ice water in the veins. When you, when you listen to Kerry talk after every game, because he has to talk after every game, because he's always a star. Uh, and, and he, his heart rate doesn't get above 45. It feels like that's, that's the amazing thing when it comes to price, by the way, there are a few guys that uh, won the, the con Smythe with the losing team. Uh, I think Glenn Hall did Reggie Leach did and Ron Hextall did. So okay. there's a, there's a few guys uh, that have won that won the con Smythe with it. Most of them goaltenders. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, but that makes some sense that because all the three goalies got their teams to the final. Uh, based on uh, on what they did in the playoff series. 
John, Mark Bergevin makes up for the uh, ice water in Carey Price's veins. <laughs> yeah. He was pretty excited, wasn't he? Oh, well, and you know, the, the, the public criticism, I mean, I, I think Montreal is the hardest market in hockey to play in. Uh, not only are you critiqued by a, a, you know, a really knowledgeable fan base, but you're critiqued by, you know, two levels of media, one in English and one in French. Uh, and, uh, there it, it's, it, and it, they, they, both you days know this, it's more than just a game in Quebec. It is a, uh, it's almost a, as you can see from the, the crowds outside, it's almost a lifestyle to watch Montreal play hockey. Um, I, I, Mark, Mark's not the, at times the most giving person when it comes to interviews, but I I'm happy for him. I, it's, it's well-deserved that he's getting some, some praise now for what he's, how he's rebuilt his hockey club. Well, speaking of how tough it is to play in Montreal, I, I couldn't help but think when they called Captain Shea Weber to come and uh, stand beside the Clarence Campbell Bowl of the reaction when um, P.K. Subban was traded away from Montreal, beloved for what he did on and uh, perhaps especially off the ice in that city. And, and nobody, uh, or very few anyway, were willing to accept the fact that Shea Weber might be a decent return for P.K. Subban. Initially, Subban and Nashville had success. Weber and Montreal didn't. There was a the long-term contract, expensive, that the Canadians were carrying with Weber. And it, it, for many people, it looked like this, this was never going to switch to a positive uh, result for the Canadians. Well, last night it did. And Shea Weber uh, has endured all of that and probably turned it in his favor now. Although there will still be those who, who say, you know, we love PK and we wish he hadn't left. Um, Web, Weber probably might have felt better than any Montreal player um, mm. having, uh, having that ability to, uh, to go and uh, stand beside Bill Daly in that trophy and, and be called out as the captain of the Montreal Canadiens. On the other side, um, you know, Mark Bergevin made it perfectly clear he was not going to play pay Max Pacioretty a boatload of money to stay in Montreal. Uh, he had orchestrated a trade to Los Angeles. Los Angeles couldn't come up with a contract uh, for uh, for uh, Pacioretty, and Bergevin ended up trading him to Vegas. And part of the return was Nick Suzuki. So even if it was just Suzuki for Pacioretty uh another stroke of genius that has turned out they got younger they got faster they got a centerman versus a winger uh that uh that this guy has has done some right things and nick suzuki has you know that line with uh with uh, uh uh he's he's on with let me just remember here it's been so long caulfield and anderson i mean they just they have they have some chemistry in this playoff and Caulfield has made a huge difference too. So this is this team has reinvented itself very quickly over a, a over a fifty six game schedule. So we are uh, spending some time here, or we did earlier, talking about Conn Smythe winners from losing teams, and um, Montreal Canadiens haven't played a game in the final yet. And I'm not sure we should even be contemplating them being an inferior team. Maybe we just misread the whole situation. Habs were really good at the beginning of the season. They went through um, a COVID scare. They've had injuries. Carey Price was out for an extended period of time. Um, Hodge, um, maybe we just didn't pay enough attention to this team. 
Well, lots happened to them. Uh, they, they changed coaches, and that's supposed mm. to uh, spell doom as far as uh, ultimate success in, in the season in which you uh, decide to fire the coach. Ironically, the coach who took over <laughs> wasn't there for the, for the big playoff win over, over Vegas. So that stands with, with an asterisk like we've never seen uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, Bob, uh, you know, in the end, they're the worst of the 16 playoff teams, according to, according to the record. And I don't think anybody could foresee this except to say in the Stanley Cup playoffs, anything can happen. And I'll repeat it, and we might as well say it every time we end a sentence. Everything comes back to Carey Price. And you're quite right that they shouldn't have been underestimated for him alone. Perk, um, I'll throw it to you. Tampa or the Islanders, is it possible to even analyze which of those two would be more difficult for the Habs? Well, I, I don't think so. I, like David said, playoffs, anything can happen. And if, and if you have the goaltender, uh, that's, you know, three quarters of the battle. Now, this wouldn't be the first time Montreal's done this. Remember when Dryden came out of nowhere as a kid and they beat the Bruins? Uh, I mean, that Bruins team might have been the greatest team ever, not to win the Stanley Cup with mm -hmm. the Esposito and Orr and the, and the whole bunch of them back in the day. So, I mean, Montreal's done it before. It, 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 if you have the goaltender, does it really matter who they're facing at this point? Like, as someone said earlier, They've, they've won three series and they made the other three teams look bad. And, and we tend to think of, of the losers, you know, being masters of their own fate. Well, maybe Montreal just made them look bad and they know that having price behind them helps that. I'll throw a name at you, Bob, yeah. uh, that would uh, help to uh, uh, answer your question. I think uh, Nikita Kucherov. Sure. Uh, first of all, if he plays uh, um, game seven, then uh, or he doesn't, that's a big difference and might determine who the Canadians uh, are meeting. And if um, Tampa Bay manages to get by the Islanders without Kucherov and Kucherov can't play against the Canadians, then that's a that's a huge factor, uh, given that Tampa Bay's power play is uh, is a, should be an advantage. And the reason it is, is that it go, everything goes through Kucherov on the power play for Tampa Bay. Um, other than a goaltender, uh, Price or Vasilevsky, um, no player uh, is, is uh, more important in the, in the rest of these playoffs than Kucherov. John, would you agree? I, I, I would. Uh, and I mean, there are a couple of storylines in there. And, you know, in television, we always try to create storylines. So if, if Kucherov doesn't play, then all of a sudden in round one, it was Tavares. In round two, it was Shifley. In round three, it was uh, it's Chandler Stevenson. In round four, it, it's, it's Kucherov. And the dominoes just seem to be falling for Montreal. The other thing that you mentioned, Dave, was uh, Tampa's power play. Well, Montreal hasn't allowed a power play goal since game four of the Toronto series. They went, uh, I think it was 0 for 8 against Winnipeg and 0 for 15 their power play, the power, uh, the visiting power play went over 15 against Montreal uh, in the Vegas series. So it, their, their four defensemen, particularly their bigger defensemen. Uh, I think that that's, that's something that probably deserves a, a little more credit than most people are giving. When you think of Shea Weber, you talked about, but 
Edmondson's been really good. Petrie's been really good. And Ben Sherratt um, has been, I, I think, been so good for, for Montreal through these whole playoffs. A, a physical guy, you know, you're not going to get points out of him. You're going to expect him to play defense. And he's, he's done that very, very well. Here's what, here's what qualifies as a surprise, I think. Uh, I, I would say we all believe that uh, in these days, you can't win the Stanley Cup unless you've got depth. And every general manager at the trade deadline talks about adding depth. I'm not sure we thought Montreal was nearly as deep as Montreal is proving to be. And uh, even at that, a guy like Jake Evans, uh, whose absence is not mentioned, uh, ever since Shifley uh, knocked him silly, um, Jake Evans was playing 16 and a half minutes mm -hmm. and was was a valuable member of a Montreal forward unit that, though he, though he wasn't scoring, he was doing a lot to, to add to that depth of the Canadians. And even without him, they are showing that uh, they have depth up front. Cole Caulfield obviously has added to it. The four pillars on defense, as John mentioned, uh, you know, we don't think we're talking about six defensemen because the fifth and sixth guys don't play a lot. But even, you know, a couple of those big four uh, would, would have been considered depth guys at the start. And now they're and now they're stars. So the Canadians are a whole lot deeper than anybody thought. And even, you know, Perry and Stahl, we shrugged mm -hmm. our shoulders. And what, what you know, what are they doing? What are they adding? Well, they've added depth. Sure. You know, and, and this is a league where people talk about, uh, obviously, defense, but strength down the middle. And if it, uh, to Bob's question about start of the season, if you looked at Montreal, you'd say, well, you know what? I'm not sure they're very good down the middle. I, I'm not sure that they have what the other teams, some of the other teams in this division, the North Division, have to, to make it. And, and, and on top of that list was Philip Deneau, who turned down a really good contract offer before the season started. Uh, and as the season wore on and he kept not scoring and not scoring and not scoring, people were suggesting, well, he's made a mistake. He's made a mistake. Now <laughs> he's become so valuable as a centerman, as maybe not the number one centerman anymore, but as a centerman, particularly on the defensive side of the puck, that he's, he's increased his value uh, through these playoffs and is, is in, in a pretty good position again. So the, the, the weaknesses uh, that this, we thought this team had, not enough depth, no strength down the middle, have both proved to be absolutely incorrect. So uh, if, you're, if we're talking about should we take them lightly in the final, absolutely not to the point where I don't care who they're playing, I'm going to pick them no matter what just because yeah. I'd like Here's to take once. Here's a spicy question, if I might. Mm. Uh, is the rest of Canada, particularly Toronto, cheering for the Canadians? The rest of Canada is. Oh, yeah. I've never understood that whole premise of uh, adopting a team based on, on your nationality. Um, as an American, under, under that premise, uh, who would I cheer for in Major League Baseball if the Blue Jays weren't in it? Um, I mean, I have no attachment to any other particular team. I, I mean, I agree with you, David. Well, or or no, Perk. I, have, I didn't answer my own question. I just no, I know you didn't. Perk did essentially, and and I I understand that that's probably what is happening. What I don't understand is why that is happening. How can you be a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, and then and hate the Montreal Canadiens uh, eleven months of the year, and then suddenly 
flip over and say, well, because they're from Canada, I'm now going to cheer for them. Leaf fans aren't rooting for them. I didn't say that. Oh, I think there are some. I think it's the same premise that we talked about. It's this, if they're from Canada, if they're Canadian-based teams, I'm going to vote. I'm going to root for them. One Leaf fans. Sorry, David. Go ahead. Oh, so the the guy who lit the CN Tower is is one guy. There you go. <laughs> and and the lights at Niagara Falls. Leaf fans are having a, a, a you know double hooping here. You know, Lamorello, two times in a row, executive of the year. The guy wasn't smart enough to uh, to to not get into salary cap hell here. He's won two uh, executive of the year in a row. And now the Canadians are in the Stanley Cup final where the Toronto Maple Leafs have not been for 54 years and counting. Of course, Leaf fans, this is double, you know, this is a double hooping for them. So so they're, so it's Montreal versus the Islanders and a Leaf fan hopes for whom? For, <laughs> hopes for nobody. They, they, they oh. just pull the covers over their head and... and and hope for a third T-shirt to come up, you know, know third, the, another they, third sweater. They hope the border's open by. so they can go to Buffalo to watch the baseball team. <laughs> yeah. No, but what, that, happens, but... what happens to the TV ratings here? Um, I'm sure Sportsnet is happy because there's a Canadian team involved, but it's not the Toronto Maple Leafs, which would give you the biggest bang for your buck. John, let me throw it at you as the former TV guy. Double. Is this great news? Oh, it's the thrilling news, thrilling news. Um, you know, I, I suspect that, that they have now gone, particularly the way that the Cinderella story, I, I think they've probably gone from a, an average of 2 million for the Stanley Cup final with, uh, you know, Vegas and Tampa or the Islanders to 4 million. I, th- I think they've doubled their ratings. I, I think that'll be, that's the, that, that because of the Canadian content, it will double what Rogers has been able to get out of, out of the Stanley cup final. I don't think there's any question. The the interesting thing is just to go back the last time there was a team from Canada in the Stanley cup final 2011, the only people that cheered for the Vancouver Canucks were the people in British Columbia, the rest of the country cheered for the Boston Bruins. Uh, I think it's different this time. I think most of the country will cheer for Canadians except for, you know, that avid leaf group uh, in Southern Ontario. Well, apart from who's watching on TV, uh, how many people will be watching in the Bell Center? How much pressure will it be on the Quebec government, um, the Canadian government first, perhaps? I don't know how that'll work. But you have to realize that the, the intense uh, interest in this uh, series in the province of Quebec will, um, will bring all sorts of demands, pressure. You know, you got to let us into, this, into the Bell Center so we can be part of this just like the Islanders fans of the Tampa Bay mm-hmm. fans. And is it a, is it a, is it a factor if one team has a packed house, especially if it's, if it's Nassau Coliseum, which I think is a weapon all its own, John, we've been there often enough yeah. to know that that building and those fans that occupy it can make a difference. Um, if, if it's the Islanders with a, with a full house and the Canadians with 3,500, um, you know, have we got a lack of balance in terms of how the series could could turn out because of that? Well, it's hard for me to be sympathetic to the rich cats that um, own the season tickets, um, but uh, 
God bless them. I mean, I don't know what they'll be able to do, Dave, if uh, if they can't get into the. Well, imagine if imagine if it was the Leafs, and and uh, well, well, I don't know that it would thing. be any different. Yeah. But. No, it wouldn't be any different. It'd be a bunch of rich guys um, who would be whining and complaining, and I have no sympathy for them. Uh, no, no, but would you would you not would you not prefer to see a full house just for the spectacle? I think, of course, I think, you know, we're in COVID, and. I, I'm not capable. I don't know if any of the four of us are capable in making that determination <laughs> based on what little information is, you know, filtered down to through us. Well, I'll tell John, you what, you just, to no, just that, uh, you, you know, Dave's the music guy. So Madison Square Garden, I think it was the Foo Fighters that had a sold out house at Madison Square Garden. You had to be fully vaccinated in order to, and you had to prove to be fully vaccinated to go to the concert. You wonder if there's a way, and if, if listen, sense. there were 40,000 people 40,000 people outside the outside shoulder to shoulder. If that wasn't a super spreader, I don't know what was. So, so from, from that perspective, if you, if, if the provincial government and the health authorities in Montreal and the Canadians could say, listen, if you have been double vaccinated, we will sell you a ticket. Perhaps that's the way to go around it. And, and, and in, a, in good conscience, allow 18 to 20,000 people into the bell center. Well, we all not agree that this is this is going to be probably is beginning this morning uh, a fact that there's going to be a lot of discussion and the government is going to have to make a decision that is either way is going to please some people and displease others. Mm -hmm. But the government already made a decision. It, it, it waived the, you know, the, the, the quarantine for the visiting mm -hmm. hockey team. They haven't waved that they never waved anything for the Raptors and never waved anything for the Blue Jays. They waved it for the Montreal Canadiens. And they, and I can guarantee you, they wouldn't have waved it for the Edmonton Oilers or, uh, or Toronto. Mm. Oh, no, they would. So I don't think they, no, they, yeah. they no, had already, I don't think so. they had already, they had already agreed to Dave. Uh, they had already agreed to for the, for the third round. Uh, but what what, it hap what happens is is that the players, in order to play in the U.S., they have to go back and live in the bubble, in the semi bubble. They can only right. go to the hotel. They can't go on the street. Yeah. They can't go out in the patio. They they have to be more diligent. And I'll tell you what, there were lots of times in the in the games in Vegas in this series against Montreal, where the federal government and the provincial government of Quebec were watching saying that guy didn't have his mask. George McPhee's got to have his mask on. This guy's got to have his mask on. Look what's happened. And so this is not just giving hockey a pass. This is hockey's under a microscope and the, and the league is having to police everybody in order to try to make sure they play by the rules. I just want, I, I want to talk about um, the importance of fans at, at sporting events. When the NHL season started, I can imagine there was a meeting in, in New York and the first thing they said was, well, we're going to play. We don't need fans. We don't need fans. We don't need fans because we have to play because of TV and this and that. And the, other. Uh, the game between the Islanders and Tampa the other night, uh, game six on Long Island and what the fans added to that spectacle on TV and to the game on the ice versus any game that has been played uh, in a Canadian rink Fans are very, very important. Mm -hmm. And um, if only for that reason, you know, yeah, you got to be uh, uh, following the health uh, uh, concerns at all times. But uh, it would be a shame if, if there's half of the Stanley Cup final that's thrilling because of a packed house and the other half 
as, let's face it, kind of boring. Last night was kind of boring until, uh, you know, until it ended. Uh, guys, let's take a break. Um, we'll uh, come back after these messages. We are back. It's uh, McCowan. It's Shannon with uh, the Daves, Hodge and Perkins. We've uh, spent uh, the first part of this program talking about the Montreal Canadiens and um, eat up a fair bit of the time. Only a short segment here, but I thought we should probably bring the Blue Jays into this equation. A couple of baseball guys with us. Uh, this uh, I talked. We talked about this the other day. It's such an interesting game. You can change your opinion of uh, the relative merits of a team and the prospects of that team. 20 times over the course of a baseball season, not just because it's long, but because of the ebbs and flows. A couple of weeks ago, the Blue Jays looked like uh, they couldn't beat anybody. Their bullpen was a disaster. They lost a bunch in a row, fell below 500. Now they've gotten kind of the uh, the weak sisters of, uh, of baseball the last little bit. The schedule's better for them. Uh, they've won, I don't know, what, five in a row? Mm-hmm. Um, but in relative merit... Dave Perkins, to you first. Uh, is this team capable of making the playoffs without a big splash addition? Uh, I, I would say, ask me Monday, because I think right now these next three days are the most important um, of the of the season to this point, and here's why. They're going to sweep Baltimore, I would say. But Baltimore's, you know, a triple-A team with a couple of good hitters and no major league pitchers with means of. They're, they're going to destroy Baltimore uh, the way they did last year. Uh, Boston and the Yankees are playing. So one of those teams is going to lose two games. So Blue Jays going to gain two games on one and a game on the other if they take care of business. All of a sudden, they're going to be two, three, four games out in the loss call. And the task is obviously simple at this point. They need to beat two of Boston, New York, and Tampa to make the playoffs because they're not going to catch Oakland and Houston's gone on everybody. Okay? So you got your East winner, whoever it is, the Central winner, whoever it is, Houston and Oakland. Oakland's 15 games over 500 at this point and playing great. I mean, Houston's won 10 in a row and Oakland's what two games behind. I think mm-hmm. that's it. So now you got four teams playing and that doesn't even count Cleveland, you know, Seattle, whoever else is over 500. So this weekend, I think if the Jays take care of business, they are absolutely back in it Monday morning or Tuesday or whenever the series ends. So yes, there are pitchers available. Uh, Kyle Gibson's available. They're going to have to bite the bullet and pay some money. There's no question about that. But this team is going to is in for a huge bullet biting in terms of money going forward. You got to play pay Vladdy. You don't have to pay Bichette yet because he's only first year arbitration eligible, so he won't kill you. But you know they're they're paying Springer next year thirty million. They're paying Ryu twenty million every year they've got to pay Vladdy. now are they going to get him on a, a kuna type contract you know the eight years for 100 or not so i mean the money the money coming don't forget simeon that's for yeah. sure so 
Well, I don't think there's any chance they can re-sign Simeon. Simeon's made himself $100 million this year with a, with a tremendous year. He bet himself, right? You can't qualify Simeon, remember, right. because he was qualified last year, turned it down. So he can't be qualified. So he's going to get a full free agent contract. Now, when you look at what the Jays have got to pay, they got to pay T. Oscar. They got to pay Bichette. They got to pay Vladdy a couple of hundred million. They're still paying Springer. They're still paying Ryu. All of a sudden, I don't think you can pay Simeon as well. So this is the year to shoot the gun. You bite the financial bullet. You make a trade for the pitching you need, a starter and a reliever, and shoot the gun. I think I think it's worth doing with this offense the way they're going right now. I think it's worth spending the money and, and adding. Um my answer, Bob, is that uh, without the moves that you suggest might be necessary, uh, they're probably going to be a little short. Um, but if they make the right moves, I think they are capable of uh, getting past, shall we say, the Red Sox uh, um, or the Yankees or both. Or both. You know, they're five games back of the Red Sox and there's lots, lots, lots left. My question is, do they have uh, the motivation to do it this year, given the fact that they're not selling any tickets at, at Rogers Center, that there's a limited number of tickets they're selling in a place that isn't home, uh, Buffalo? And um, are they saying we're going to get whatever we can get out of this season and go hell bent for leather when we can get back home and try to put 40,000 people into the Rogers Center with a team that is stronger than this one based on? moves that we can make in an off season. I, I would love to know, get inside the heads of Shapiro and, and Atkins to see how important they think this season is uh, in and of itself. And uh, I, it's a good debate as to how they should think. Well, I, I'll throw my two cents in here and I'm intrigued with yours. Um, I don't think this season matters that much. I think mm -hmm. this is a, a, a longer term build. Um, I don't think this team is likely to be inferior next year, whether you sign Simeon or not. I would like to see them sign him, and I probably would sign him because it's not my money. But uh, I'm not paying for a Band-Aid. And um, especially in the starting rotation, I, I want a stud, and I would like a stud who, um, who, who can be here for two or three years because I think that's really the window from an economic standpoint and from a player standpoint the window is not just this year it's the next two or three and you and you got to fill the holes accordingly don't you guys sure, but as long as the window's open you have to make moves every year yes, but yeah, but you, you can't you can't if you do that you just got to make sure and I, I i agree with bob uh, you can't compromise next year and the year after for anything this year because you you if you go to the World Series you, and you still can't play in Toronto, you can't measure any revenue. You need to be able to measure the revenue out of this as well. I don't even care about the revenue, John. Revenue well, doesn't I, mean anything to me. Winning means something to me. Wherever it is, if it's in Buffalo, whatever. You know. But their their payroll is 131 million this year, right? Yeah. So they're, they're going to take a huge bath. But what is it? We've said it a thousand times. It's programming. For Rogers, that's right. It's, that's it's, right. It's, it's it's eyeballs. It's it's that's what they look at it as, and and 
and I think they're they're less of a team without Simeon. I think I think I mean the 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 infield defense, Vladdy aside, who's who's improved dramatically. Infield defense has been horrible on the left side. Mm-hmm. We know that Simeon's been very very good player for. Them. Outfield defense is still bad. Well, maybe that improves with Springer back. But what I mean, what everybody forgets is when Springer comes back, a really good bat is out of the lineup every night. Which one? Because now you got five guys. Well, it, it just depends. If if you play, you know, T. Oscar and Grishuk, there's no room in it for Guriel in the outfield. So if he's you a play DH. Guriel, one of those guys got a DH. Yeah. So once you start DH in that, now you got eight right-handed hitters. And all of a sudden, now you got Bizio at third base, which is not what you, you know what I mean? Like, like it, I realize you win when you got a lot of good players. Well, they got a lot of good hitters mm-hmm. right now. Not so much defenders, but they got a lot of real well, good they have, hitters. They have such good hitting that they should be in playoff contention. Do we not agree with that? Sure. Absolutely. And if, and if you've got to trade a hitter or a couple of, Somebody will do it. Miami's loaded with pitching. Well, They'd love a good luck with that. Give me, give me the historical uh, relevance of two good pitchers for one good hitter. <laughs> no, no, but I, I'm just saying it's young. It's the other way around. One, one guy who can, you know, I mean, what are you going to wait on Nate Pearson again? He, he goes two innings and he has to go on the DL. Like he's got 18 innings in his well, life. Well, I think like, we understand I mean, they need pitching. Okay. But the right. question is, do you go get a Band-Aid or do you go get a cure? Like you go but and a try like and get Gibson's a Scherzer. Got an extra year. Hmm? Guy like Gibson's got an extra year. Scherzer is a free agent, so he's a. You don't give much for Scherzer. You don't give the A prospects, the Martins and Groshans and everything. You're certainly not going to give those guys up for a for a, a like you call it a band aid. I would. But, here's here's a concern I would have: uh, the wear and tear on the left arms of of uh, Ryu and and Ray. Um, you know, they're, they're having to go into the hundreds uh, in terms of uh, pitches per game just to get six innings, right. maybe, uh, and hope for three innings from the bullpen. Uh, and they're, they're really being pushed. And I guess you can understand why. But uh, if that turns out to be uh, damaging to, to those two guys, then their, their chances go up in smoke. And um, I would think it's more important to keep those guys healthy than it is to rush for the playoffs uh, this year. Well, injuries are inevitable and they're always a part of the equation in determining who makes it to the postseason. You hope, you know, you close your eyes, you cross your fingers and you cross your toes and you hope that, that everything works out. I will say this, um, this rotation theoretically isn't that bad right now if it stays healthy. There are five guys in this rotation that have done a pretty good job. Um, I, I'm not sure I would mess with it. And if one of them does go down, or worse, two go down, you're dead anyway. So you like if, you, if you go and get Scherzer, here's, a, here's a, maybe a different way. If you go and get Scherzer, who's the odd guy out? Manoa. Manoa? Yeah. But Manoa's pitched pretty well. I get, I get that Manoa would probably be the odd guy out because he's 22 and doesn't have a lot of innings. But it's not really on merit, I don't think. I think the guy still can be a, a, a competent major league pitcher 
this year, the rest of this year, and he's got huge upside down the road. So Houston Astros are using a six-man rotation. Here's well, you can argue Ryu is on a uh, is on a five and a half sure. day uh, rotation. Well, you can you go with a six-man rotation. You know they, they should look, they should look for a pitcher, and you could find one. Maybe you have to make them into one. They should look for a guy who can go three innings out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Innings five, six, and seven, or six, seven, and eight. Um, you know, before Julio Arias was was a starter with the Dodgers, I mean, they won a World Series that way by you know letting the starter go as far as he could and then say, Julio, come in and get us the rest of the way. Never Every mind, team had one, Kenley, Dave. Never mind, we got Kenley Jansen. So you you can you can find or develop a guy. Who can who can give you nine outs instead of three, and uh, I think that's what they need. That would every really team used to have one. It was called the long relief guy, and, yeah. and every every team had one of those guys. Uh, it's just sort of disappeared now. Tell you what, I, I'm just going to reiterate. I I'm not I'm not selling anything that's important to this franchise for the short term, and I'm not doing it until I'm in my own building and selling lots of tickets. I'm not. It doesn't it doesn't make any. That's, that's where I start. That's where I started this discussion. And I think there's at least half of the minds of Shapiro and Atkins that have to be thinking that way, whether it's the right way to think, I don't know, but it's only natural that from the business standpoint, Mm. uh, they're taking that into consideration, hopefully not saying let's forget about this season, but on the other hand, hopefully not saying this season is all important and we're going, we're going for broke and, uh, you know, if it doesn't make, if it doesn't work, uh, well, at least we tried. Well, I think probably better to try next season that way than this one. Yeah. But I would say they've already started down this path this year. I think last year they went nine and one against Baltimore, two and twenty-seven against everybody else. I think they got fooled and they made the postseason because it was a cheese yeah. season sure. with extra postseason. And I think they got fooled and went out and spent $150 million on Springer. And they spent $18 million on, on Semyon on a one, one shot deal. And they signed Robbie Ray as a free agent. I don't know they gave him eight or 10. I, I don't know. But, but they, they've already started down this path because they spent a boatload of free agent money last winter. So but all the, of a sudden you want them to back up and say, well, now we're going to become a farm team, uh, farm development team again. This no, is what you no, want. No, 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 I didn't, I didn't say that. I, I didn't say that. I, it's, what I said was, is that I'm going to, I'm going to go to, to the end of this season with this group, not prepared to give up some of my future, some of one of those hitters or one of my prospects, because I think we'll be even better next year. Even if we do have to spend all that extra money on players, Dave. Do you think that do you think they had any idea that Semyon would do what he's doing? I guess Semyon did. I, I think he bet he you know he bet on himself as they, as they I said. think a better question. I think a better question to that, Dave, is did any of us? Yeah. I, I would say no. <laughs> well, I mean, at first at first blush, I scratched my head and said I thought Kevin Biggio and and uh, Bo Bichette would be the, uh, the middle short shortstop second base combination here for 10 years. Me too. And uh, suddenly uh, Bizio doesn't have second base as his position. So where are you going to play him? Well, he wind up at third base where he does not belong underline that every time he goes there and tries to make a throw to first with 
field a ground ball or whatever. He does not belong at third base. And the reason he's there is that Semyon is at second base, perhaps only for one season. So I think they're a little betwixt and between in terms of, of where they expected to go this season based on bringing in Semyon, unless, you know, they're going to go uh, all the way and, and try to keep Semyon, mm. uh, in which case, uh, yeah, they, they've got themselves a great player for more than one year. Well, um, in conclusion here, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that uh, the hearts at Rogers are warm with John, your concern about their economic um, plight. Always. I'm always concerned uh, about that. The multi-billionaire, uh, a billionaire, uh, they make billions of dollars every quarter. And um, the fact that they can't get fans into the uh, Sky Dome slash Rogers Center um, should give them angst, their, them and their shareholders. At the full, end of circle, the full circle if they do make the playoffs and go any farther than a wild card game, perhaps. Pressure to allow fans into the Rogers Center, just like we're talking about pressure to put fans into That's the right. Tell Center. It, it'll happen. Yeah, well. It's a, it's a few months away. That's a good problem to have. Does. That's a good problem to have. Uh, boys, we thank you uh, for your, your uh, time. As always, we wish you a good weekend, and uh, we'll look forward to the next opportunity we have to chat. Thank you to the two Daves. We appreciate it. Thank you. Back Very after well. these messages. So one of the confusing things is having two guys named Dave on. We shouldn't do that again. As much as I enjoy both of their company, it makes it more difficult. You got to call them by their last name, which I'm far more comfortable with anyway, <laughs> Shannon. Yeah. I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to talk to the producer and, and get to, uh, uh, two more guys named Bob next week. So we can have three Bobs and a John. Oh, great. Yeah, that'll work really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the kind of producer we have. Oh, well, he needs a day off. Uh, have a good weekend, Shannon. And we'll uh, see you on Monday if the crick don't rise. Hockey and, preview. Um, Hockey preview on Monday. Same to all of you watching or listening. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.